All right. Fantastic. All right, let's get into our Bibles in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 34 this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for leading us and guiding us here. God, thank you for guiding us to your word in this particular spot on this particular morning. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord, communicate your truth. Your truth, Lord. Help us to understand what it is you're telling us, Lord. What you said then to them what you're saying now to us, and the hope contained herein. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So we'll be in Matthew 22, as I uh, said, and verse 34. All righty. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So you remember that last week, the Sadducees came to him from verse 23, who said that there was no resurrection, so they had a question about the resurrection from the dead. Whose wife is she going to be, right? We remember that. So now since he silenced the Sadducees, and the Sadducees now had no charge they could bring against him because of his explanation of the resurrection of the dead, and because they couldn't deny it anymore, even though they would deny it inwardly, outwardly they wouldn't because they feared the people, just as the Pharisees did every time they questioned him, and they didn't want to bring a charge against him really because of what he said, and then he left really no room for them to say anything to him um, in, in in the sight of the people because they didn't want to cause some kind of uprising, and we see this in different parts of the scripture as well so here in verse 34 when the pharisees heard that he had silenced the sadducees they gathered together and one of them verse 35 a lawyer asked him a question to test him remember there was accusation there's always accusation there's always testing and there's always temptation as it comes to the lord and as it pertains to the lord jesus christ while he's walking on the earth and ministering the gospel of grace. Verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So whenever we hear the law and the prophets, what we're talking about is the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, which are uh, said to be written by Moses, and then the prophets, which is your Psalms and Proverbs, uh, the the writings of Isaiah and Ezekiel and and Daniel and, and Jeremiah. So these are the law and the prophets. The prophecies that have been told, foretold by the prophets, and the law given by God to his man Moses, our man Moses, so that we could know how to live, and so that they could know how to live. Verse 40 again, on these two commandments depend all the law 
and the prophets. So all the law and all the prophets. All of them depend on these two. Which two? Verse 38 again, this is the great and first commandment. I'm sorry, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it because Jesus doesn't just stop there. He knows he needs to give them more because they need more. Because he knows that the love that they're exhibiting in their hearts toward one another is not a love that is of him. And he wants love for neighbor. He wants love for God and love for neighbor, for his people. And the second is like it. He goes even further. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? This is always what they're asking Jesus. What do you say? I know what we say. I know what, what we've said. What do you say? I know what they say. What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? What's your opinion? Is what they're asking him. What's your take? What's your opinion? What's your take? How do you understand it? They're questioning him. They're trying to get at the heart of his knowledge of the law, his knowledge of the scripture. They want to know what sort of wisdom are you operating from? Where is this power from? We know that they've already told him that he's not doing miracles by the power of God, but by the power of the devil. They don't believe his message. Interesting that they call him teacher in verse 36, isn't it? Teacher. Now they don't think he's a good teacher. They think he's a heretical teacher. They think that he's teaching things that are not of God because they're not of the traditions of the elders, although they are of God because, hello, amen, hallelujah. He is God. Amen? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? His detractors... From his detractors, this is the great question of the day. His accusers will always want to hear what he has to say about any particular topic, namely the topics that have to deal with the Lord God and his adherence to the law, the adherence of Jesus Christ to the law. Now, the Apostle Paul understood this teaching as a former Pharisee. As a former Pharisee, think about that. A former Pharisee, Paul, he calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? He says that according to the law, he was what? He was blameless according to the law, he says. Although in Romans chapter 7, he says, every time I want to do what, what's right, I end up doing what I don't want to do. So he also understands that there is a battle going on within every individual. That there is the law of the flesh. That we will always cater to our own earthly desires. That we will do what's wrong if given the opportunity just like they did what was wrong in the Garden of Eden when given the opportunity. But he says that there's another law. And he operates in the Spirit because in his Spirit he does what's right. He wants what's right. His desire is deep in the Spirit. His desire is deep for God in the Spirit. Paul's. So he understood a, a bit about this. And let's read about what he understood about love. Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the elders, chief priests, the lawyers, part of the Pharisees, trouble understanding the law. This is what Paul understands about it. Verse 8, Romans 13. 
owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. What word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 10, listen to this. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, therefore, so because love does no wrong to a neighbor, love is the fulfilling of the law. Because you're not going to steal, you're not going to covet, you're not going to commit adultery, you're not going to do all these things. Why not? Because you love your neighbor as yourself. You love them. You're not going to do what's wrong when you love. So when you do what's wrong, what does that mean you're not doing? You're not loving. You're not displaying that very love, that very quality that Jesus wants us to display, to exhibit, to be. It's our essence to be loving. Remember, church, in the Spirit of God, as God is leading us, our essence is love. It's part of, it's, it's intrinsic to our nature, our spiritual nature. In the Spirit, our essence, it's part of who we are. It's not something that we have to try to do in the Spirit. In the flesh, you got to try to love. Oh, man, I'm going to try to love him today. God help me. That's the flesh. The Spirit's the one telling you, you've got to love Him. That's what the Spirit's telling you. You've got to love her. That's what the Spirit's telling you. So in your flesh, because there's that battle that Paul talks about in Romans 7 adamantly, at length, because of that battle, oh, help me, God, because if you don't help me, I know I can't love Him today. That's where we find ourselves in this world. You see, the most important thing to the Jewish leadership, their lawyers, the scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, was not the law. It was not the law. They want to make people believe and make it seem as though the law is the most important. Adherence to the law is the most important to them. But but it's not. It really isn't the most important thing to them. Because Jesus already told them that they forsake the law of God for their traditions. They forsake the heart of God for their traditions. They actually, by their hearts, minds, and lives, the law wasn't the most important thing to them. Not really. The people's adherence to the law, the people's money, and the control over the people was the most important thing to them. In essence, you could say the most important thing to the religious leaders of the time was themselves. That's what the most important thing was. Themselves. Their control, their power, their prestige, Jesus says, you know, you, you see the hypocrites, they, they love to pray on street corners where everybody can see them. They dress up all fancy, they, they say all these fancy words, they repeat themselves over and over and over again. So that they can seem smart, they can seem like they know what they're talking about, so they can seem like they're holy. Because Jesus knows that is done in hypocrisy, it's not God that's important, it's not really the law that's important to them, what's important to them is the show. The show. What's important to them is the way that people see them. Therefore, what's important to them is themselves. 
Over and over and over again, Jesus calls them hypocrites to their faces, not behind closed doors, not to other people behind their backs, but to them openly so that the people could see how not to live a life. You want to know how not to live? Read the Bible, see how the Pharisees lived. You want to know how not to live? Read the Bible, see how the Sadducees lived, see how the scribes lived. Read a history book about Jewish history and how they lived. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. In contrast, Jesus lives quite differently. He cares not about the power and the prestige of the day. The Bible says that he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, right? Taking the form of a servant. That he came down in humility and became flesh. He cared for the hearts of the people. This is why he did that. He cared for our orientation toward the God of all creation. Our orientation, what does that mean? Are we looking at God, focused on God? Are our lives oriented around the God of all creation? Or are our our lives oriented around ourselves the way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes' lives were? The hypocrisy, the hypocrite life. How are we oriented He came to live, Jesus did. He came to teach and he came to die for sinners. Because he cares about the people themselves, he came so that we could be set free from the bondage of the law. From the bondage of the law, we could be set free. He came to fulfill that which he created so that people could believe in him and have eternal life in him. Jesus came to set us free, y'all. He came to set us free and what a Sunday to speak on freedom the first freedom we will ever enjoy that has any real eternal significance, church, is freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And this happens when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. The freedom from the penalty of sin. In the beginning, God created the world. He did it in six days. He rested on the seventh. He looked at all he had created and said that it was good. He declared it good. We get a little tied up with words here in this world, don't we? Good's not good enough for people, is it? It's got to be awesome, extraordinary, fantastic. It's got to be, ooh, it's got to be blessed. It's got to be... God saw it and declared it good. Because God's good is different than our good, isn't it? My good is not very good. God's good is something different. Something that I haven't even ever experienced in this flesh. In my, spirit, in my spirit, I've experienced it. I've experienced the goodness of God and salvation in the spirit. Haven't you, church? Those of us that are saved. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh During those days, he created man and woman. And he gave them an opportunity to be fruitful and to multiply and to populate the earth. He did this while they were in the Garden of Eden. He placed a tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of that tree. Well, this crafty old serpent came along, didn't he? 
He said, did God really say that you can't eat from any trees in the garden? Already that's a lie, isn't it? God didn't say that. So the woman says, no, 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 he didn't say that we couldn't eat from any tree. He said we couldn't eat from that tree, and if we eat of it, we're going to die. She says, oh, no, no, no. You won't surely die, the serpent says. God knows that if you eat of that tree that you're going to be like him, that you'll know both good and evil. And the woman, seeing the fruit was good, looked good, could be good for her, it looked palatable, looked tasty. She was tempted, and she fell, and the man fell right along with her. And as soon as they fell, what happened? They were ashamed. They immediately were aware of their nakedness. Immediately. They were aware of their nakedness before themselves, before each other, and before God. They were exposed. Church, they were uncovered. And that is a spiritual truth as well as a physical one. They were uncovered physically and uncovered spiritually then because they had sinned. When we sin, as we exist in this world, just the sinful creature, we are uncovered. God came to look for them, and what did He say? Where are you? And they were hiding behind the trees. And this is what we've done ever since, church. We've hidden behind the trees in our sin. We hide away from God in our sin. We don't show up to the church service. We don't, uh, we, you know, we, we don't take part in the activity of the church. We are ashamed of our sin, the things that we do. Am I even saved, we ask ourselves. Is this even real, we ask ourselves. Is God even real? Does He even listen to me when I ask Him questions? This is what we ask ourselves. And this is what we find ourselves wrapped up in. We hide behind the trees. But God, in His wisdom, and in His perfect grace, and in His perfect love, He seeks them out. And He said, did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? And the man's like, the woman made me do it. And she's like, the serpent made me do it. And so they were cursed and cast out of the garden, never to return to that garden. It is now hidden from our sight. People want to talk all over the world. Where was the Garden of Eden? Where was it exactly? It don't matter. We ain't there. We ain't going back. Because man and woman could not follow the decree of God and the command of God perfectly. Because within our own nature, there exists the opportunity to fail and to fall. And given that opportunity, we will. And God made that opportunity available so that His glory would be magnified in the earth after saving those who rebelled against Him. Because God didn't make robots, did He, church? Are you a robot? Does God make you do everything you do? Are you like, yes, worship, yes, read, yes? No. He made living beings with the ability to see what's right, what's wrong, to choose one thing or the other. But God in His perfect beauty and perfect grace, He sacrificed animals in the garden, didn't He? Because He covered them with the skins of animals. They had fashioned loincloths made of, of, of fig leaves, right? They had fashioned fig leaf coverings for themselves, right? Because they were naked and they were ashamed in front of each other. Oh, I don't want you to see me like this. 
And that's... But God covered them with skins and God shed blood for the first time on the earth. And we would learn from that moment on that in order to be in the presence of God and to communicate with God, we would need to be covered by God. They were uncovered in their sin and now because God had provided a perfect way back to Himself, He covered them and covered their nakedness. He covered their shame. That very thing that they were ashamed of, He covered them. Why? Because they were so good? Because they said they were sorry? No, because He was so good. And He is so good. That's why He covered them. Because of His perfect love. And that's the love He calls us to, church. And this is the Gospel. That God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman's seed. Between your offspring and her offspring. And surely he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. That was the first gospel ever preached in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the same gospel that we have today because who is the offspring but Jesus? Jesus from the Jews, from the people, from the people of Israel, from God's chosen people. He would provide a way back to himself. And the great command is a call back to originality with God. The great command to love the Lord our God with everything that we are, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, is a call back to the garden, church. God is calling us back to the garden. Will we follow Him in it? It's a call back to the God who made man from the dust of the earth and woman from the rib of the man. The great command is a call back to eternal peace with God and into the very heart of God to live with Him forever in eternal bliss, in eternal harmony. The call of God to love Him with everything that we are is an opportunity for the person, for each and every individual who places their faith in Jesus Christ to love Him the way that He intended for us to love Him. When they sinned, they were cast out of the garden, never to return to it, but God in His great providence made this great way back to Himself. And I want to tell you about this way. Let's read John 14, 6 together. Jesus said to him, I am the way. What is the way to God, church? Who is the way to God, church? It is Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It must be through Christ that we come to the Father. There is no other way. The world would tell you that there are several ways to get to God. That it's this great wide highway and it's just He just throws this big old paintbrush all along the world and every single person but it is only through Christ that we come to God. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
According to Matthew Henry, there were some thoughts, opposition and questions in antiquity about the command to be held in highest esteem among the different uh, people and sects in Judaism. Uh, Some held that the sacrificial commands were the greatest. So they were asking him, which is the great command in the law? Why would they be asking him that? Well, because there were differing opinions among them, these different sects. The sacrificial commands, some of them would say. Some of them would say, oh, it was, it's the, 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 the command of circumcision, the law of circumcision, that's the great law, that's the great command in the law. Some would say it's acts of sacrifice, some would say it's offerings, some would say other things. But Jesus stood pat on the greatest of them all, the one on which all the law and all the prophets stood the love for God and then the love for our neighbors. Love. Love. They were thinking it's adherence to the law, which is the great command, which is the most important, as though there were some commands that were more important than others. They were interested in what Jesus had to say, perhaps to hold them to account about disregarding the others. Maybe if you would have said, well, it's this command, they would have said, well, what about all the other ones, Jesus? And tried to accuse him there and hold him to account. They obviously thought he was disregarding others. They thought he was relaxing on their traditions. Because in our study in Matthew, people have definitely challenged him Throughout our time that we've read about here in Matthew on he and his disciples' adherence to the law before this day that we're in now in Matthew 22. In Matthew 9, he tells us of the disciples of John the Baptist even questioning him on why his disciples don't fast like them and the Pharisees. Why don't your disciples fast like we fast and like the Pharisees fast? Man... Then in Matthew 15, the Pharisees question him about his disciples not washing their hands before they eat according to the traditions of the elders. There was already question. So which is great to you then, Jesus? Because we already know that you're not, you're not doing this thing the way that we need you to do it. The way we want you to do it. Why aren't you like us, Jesus? This is what everyone wanted to know. Why don't you just do it the way we do it? Why don't you just do it like us? Just fall in line with everyone else. And isn't this always the question of the world? We are in a culture war at this very moment in the world, aren't we? Why aren't you like us? The world wants to know. Why aren't you like us? Why don't you just do it like us? Just do it like us! Just believe what we believe, church. That's what the world wants from you. Because the world says, if you're not like us, then we hate you and we will do everything in our power to expose you and to destroy you. This is the attitude of the world. People can't sing in churches in California. You know that? You realize that right now? You can't. It's against the law. That's what they've said. You can't sing. You're going to spread coronavirus to everybody if you sing. Everybody going to get that Rona. You sing, Rona. The world wants to control the church. 
You see, this is the attitude of the world. They aren't like the Lord who showers grace. Like the rain on the just and the unjust alike. They aren't like the Lord. The world is not graceful, church. His authority, though, would not be thwarted. Jesus's his knowledge of the law wouldn't be put into question in the ear of the people on that day. No, they failed in their inquisition and in their accusation, this lawyer. Why? Because nobody would dare doubt the importance of love for God in front of the people. As soon as he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. As soon as he brought that in, they were like, ah. Again, he got them. Because they're not going to challenge that. Love for God in front of the people? Ain't going to challenge that. And why not? Because of this. Let's read in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 15. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and When you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Church, how important is love for God? In other words, let this be covering you. Let the love of God cover you. The words, the very word of God to love God, write it everywhere. Wear it as frontlets between your eyes. Wear it on your arm. Put it on the doorposts of your house. Put it everywhere, everywhere you can. Remind yourself to love God. In all that you do, keep that reminder alive and keep it everywhere around you so that you're reminded because you will forget. Rest assured, this flesh, this pesky flesh, There's a battle going on between the spirit and the flesh. And verse 10, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that He swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then... Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It's an incredible thing to remember the blessing and the providence of God, isn't it? Remember, all of these things that God has done, but listen, when we, when, 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 it's too easy, we're too quick to forget the truth of God and the blessing of God, the providence of God, the provision of God, the, the goodness of God, the love of God in our lives to give us those things that we didn't even work for. All of a sudden, everything's different in our lives. 
And God doesn't want us to forget about Him. He doesn't want us to forget. Remember these things that I gave you that you didn't even work for. Those cisterns that you didn't even dig. Those vineyards that you didn't even plant. Remember all these things that I've done for you. Because I don't want you to forget, God says. I don't want you to forget. I was going about 70 miles, 75, that was whatever the speed limit was, that's how fast I was going. <laughs> In between Aransas Pass and, 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 and Portland. And it was a really windy day. And I was... I've already been having all these problems with my Jeep. All these problems, man. Water's been getting in there for years. It still keeps getting in. Still keep trying to fix it. Seal things up. Water's getting in. Water's getting in. The electronics on my door. The locks. The windows. Like nothing works. Started smelling all musty and mildewy in there because water's getting in. And even though I try to suck it out with my shop vac, there's still that residue left over. And it smells a little bit like smoke every time I drive it because there's gaskets that need to be replaced in there that come in through the AC and everything. And it's got some problems, I guess you could say, in my Jeep. I was driving whatever the speed limit was between here and Portland. Um, and it was really windy and... Then all of a sudden, I, I, me and Morgan and the boys were there, and it was a few weeks ago, and, and then all of a sudden, I started hearing a lot of wind. I'm like, man, it's windy out there. It's so windy. And then I'm looking because I know that my windshield is like unsealed in this one spot that I've got to fix it in, like on the top corner, and I'm thinking maybe the wind's coming in through there. Where do I hear this wind coming in through that's so strong? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, it's so windy, right? And then all of a sudden, I start hearing that real loud. And I'm thinking, whoa, and I look up, and the little, because I have, it has got one of those moon roofs, so that the little moon roof thing is closed from the inside, and that's starting to shake, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? I open it up, there's no moon roof there anymore. It flew off while I was driving. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And so we pull over, and then I went around. I was like, i got to find that moonroof. That's going to save me so much money if I can just find that moonroof. I'll have to get another one. They can just reattach it somehow. I don't know. I don't know these things. I ain't know them. Yeah, I'm not a car guy. I don't know what I was going to do about my vehicle. I don't know what I'm going to do. Our car started having problems. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have any clue. But I knew that God had provided me, provided for me, with that Jeep years ago. He had provided for me. He had made a way for us to buy that Jeep. And we bought it, you know, and we owned it. We still own it. And then all of a sudden we get a call. Hey, come over here. Somebody bought us a car, y'all. Like bought us a brand new vehicle. Like bought us a car. Hey, we want to buy you a car, no payments, paid in full, and put it in your name. You and and um, I just I didn't do anything for that vehicle, nothing. 
Morgan didn't do anything for it. Nothing. Nothing. Why does God do things like this? Why for me? Because I'm nothing special. I'm no different than you. I'm no better than you or anybody. Why does God do this? Why? Because He's good, that's why. Because He's so good. Because He wants us to remember at all times, this is the provision of the Lord. Remain faithful because I am with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. God wants us to be called back to the love of the garden. He's calling us back in this great command to love. These vineyards that they never planted, these cisterns that they never dug, these great lands that they didn't have to work for, but because of the goodness of God, He provided them for them. Why? So that they would always remember and so that they would remember His love for all time when things get tough and then when they're struggling in life, wondering, I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do from here. I don't know what I'm going to do from there. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I don't know how I'm going to go on. This thing in my life is crashing down on me right now. Everything seems to be coming in, we think at times. We get in depression. We get anxious about our lives and everything going on in it. We let everybody in the world influence the way that we treat other people because we come in with baggage and then we blow up on people because we have trouble loving like God loves. But if we'll just adhere to the Word and the command of the Lord to love, then we'll be changed forever and we will be wrapped up in His glory and we wouldn't have to deal with the misery of the world when we are called into love and we follow that call into love. God will continue to be your God. He will continue to provide for you perfectly. Because God will provide the most important thing for you if you will just call on His name, and that is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God will provide. And you think, well, what do I have to do if I, to get this, God? Well, what do I have to do, God? What do I have to do? We think we need to work for God to make up to God the things that we've done against God. Because of the things that we've done against God, we think we need to make it up to Him. Oh, if I can just get back to God. There's no getting back. We're with Him where we're not. I had a great friend of mine explain that to an EMS driver in the ambulance on his way to the hospital. We're either with God or we're not. But when we're with Him, if we would just remember to love Him, And listen to how many times the Lord says to love him or how many different ways he tells us to remember and to remind ourselves of that love. So many different things. Frontlets between your eyes, a band on your arm, write them on the doorpost, remember them. I'm putting this on your heart, he says. All these different ways. Why? Because God knows that our minds need some help. Because we have trouble remembering Even His goodness we have trouble remembering. But He's calling us to love. He's calling us to love. 
Verse 13, let me finish out that Deuteronomy passage, chapter 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. So let me ask you, church, is love important? This love for God. Oh my goodness. So because of that, they wouldn't challenge him on his answer. So now you see, oh, the lawyers, they, they had nothing against him. Now why? Because they knew that one. They knew what it said. They remembered. Oh, oh he brought that one up. Okay. And then uh, as for love of neighbor, they wouldn't challenge him because of this. I want to go into Leviticus chapter 19 with you. Leviticus 19 and verse 17. Listen to this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. When you hate your neighbor, when you don't love your neighbor, you incur sin. That means sin is now upon you. No matter what happens, when you hate, when you don't love, when you're, not, when you're not pressing into love for your neighbor, sin comes upon you. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see how God puts his stamp on that one there? He says, you shall do this, I am the Lord. In other words, you need to listen to this. You need to do this. You need to be this way. You see, Jesus didn't, he didn't count any other law more important than these because they cover them all. The whole law, the prophets are fulfilled in this. If we take care of these in our hearts, then we've done well in the sight of God. We've done well in the sight of man. Love God with everything you are, church. Love your neighbor as yourself. It goes without saying, but maybe it needs to be said. Your neighbor, that's everybody. 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 What will you do with your life? Will you love God with everything that you are? Will you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Will you provide for people the way that you do for yourself? To those much has been given. God gives to some so that they can help others who need. Have you been given to? Will you help others with that? Will you give them in the way of grace, will you provide for them in the way of grace, and will you give them the grace that you so freely give yourself and the grace you're so freely given? 
Will you hold grudges against your neighbors, against your brothers and sisters, or will you forgive them and move forward the way that you forgive yourself and move forward in your life? I know a lot of people say, I have trouble forgiving myself for this or that. You're still going. You're still living. There's an element of forgiveness that you've already issued to yourself that allows you to live because you are exhibiting grace. You're being graceful with yourself. Will you give that to others? Will you forgive them and move forward the way that you've done with yourself to a great degree? And will you be merciful and loving today? I pray that you would live your lives in this very way today and every day because we need it now more than ever, don't we, church? What's the message that we need? The message of Jesus. The message to love God with everything we are and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. In these, all the law and all the prophets are taken care of. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us the way that you do for providing for us the way that you have. God, thank you that we don't have to work for the grace freely given to us. Thank you that we don't have to work for our salvation, God, because we've had already displayed for thousands of years, men and women have, that we could not work ourselves into your grace. We could not do it perfectly, Lord, and adhere to the law. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to love you. Thank you for giving us this command Thank you for decreeing this over your church, over your people, God, to love you. For commanding us, Lord, for telling us to remind ourselves, put reminders everywhere that we should love you. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us not to forget about you and the love that we should have for you, God, above everyone else, above everything else. The love for you, God. I pray that that love would be that special kind of love, God. And that as you call us back to yourself, God, I pray that that love that we are supposed to have, Lord, that we would exude that love, that we would be light shining in the darkest places. I pray, Lord, for everyone here and everyone watching at home, Lord, that we would be salt in this earth. That we would be light to this world that they would look on us Lord and see something different than the world has offered and that they would come close to the gospel of grace Lord and trust you with their lives Lord I, I pray for the salvation of this entire world this morning every single person on it every atheist every agnostic every Buddhist every Muslim every Jew Lord, I pray that they would all come to the feet of Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and place their faith in him. Help us to love, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.